right, guys, welcome back to Location 1980 Art Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Fortune, and my co-host, Eric Ringman. And we're here tonight with Dr. James Trollinger, um, a scientist, physic, physicist, um, and also an artist. So that's why you're on the program. Tonight, we'd like to talk a lot about um, what you do in science and lasers and technology, but also um, your art background and art history. And that's how we know each other. Yeah. Um, proper intro- introduction should be that Jim's a friend of the studio and also a mentor of mine. Um, and he's been a supporter of the arts as long as I've known him for the entire 14 years we've been here at Location 1980. So we're stoked to uh, share Jim's art story with the rest of the world. And uh, we're just going to start with a few questions. Uh, Jim, you... Um, I mean, do you mind if we ask how old you are? Or near there? I'm not quite 84. All right. Octan, what do you call that? Octanarian? <laughs> I'm afraid so. All right. Right on. So um, how did you get started in art? Like, what was your first experiences uh, in art? Well, my mother was a an excellent amateur artist. So she started teaching me drawing very young. So... I learned how to draw pictures of dogs and animals and horses and things like that and when I was four or five, six years old. So uh, that got me a good start and got my interest in it. So immediately when I went into school, I got more involved in art in the first and second grades. And uh, and where was this at, Jim? Where, where were you from again? You're from Tennessee? This is from Shelbyville, Tennessee, the walking horse capital of the world. Do you know about walking horses? I do not. I am uninformed <laughs> about the walking horses. Yeah, well, a good walking horse has what's called gates, different ways of walking. And uh, you have like a six or seven or eight gate horse, and they just go around a circle. And the, the announcer calls out what gate to go to. And and the people, this is it's a big, big deal. People raise horses, and then people make their living raising walking horses and training walking horses. And where you're from, Shelbyville. Shelbyville is the yeah. capital. Yeah, it's the capital, the world capital. World the capital. world capital, all right. I like did, it. So when you were young, did you did you draw horses then, or paint horses? Because that's a yeah. difficult subject matter. Yeah. Well, my my mother taught me how to draw animals first. Uh, teach me how to draw a square. So I had what's called the box dog uh-huh. or the box <laughs> horse that, that was made up of squares, and so, and I, it took me a little while to really learn how to draw a real horse. Right on. And I remember you telling me once you did have a an art teacher or a mentor before your formal, like uh, before. I you did when when I, in the second grade I got more heavily involved in art and and did quite well in some art contests and uh, through a long series of uh, happenings, I wound up studying under a, a local master, a lady named Corinne Houston, who was quite well known around the area. And I painted with her for the next maybe 10 years. Oh, wow. And so that's like outside of school, like a yes. after school and stuff yeah. like that. And this is starting like what, your teenage 20s at this point? or uh, No, I, I started I started working with her when I was about eight, seven or eight years old. Oh, wow. And uh, I'd, I was painting with oil paints when I was seven years old. So, I mean, she, she furnished everything. Nice. That's neat. That's good for your mom to <clears throat> pair you up with her. Um, 
Jim, and then so when did you switch from like, so if you did that much training, which is much more than most Americans, I think at the time regarding art, and then when you got into high school and, and college, what made you change to physics? Well, art art was always a, a side thing that it kept me from going crazy, I think. <laughs> I love to draw. But I was more, I was interested in careers and the universe was quite kind to me with timing because by the time I was up in like high school, that was when Russia launched Sputnik. And at that point, the floodgates opened for educational funds for engineers. So that was a good way to make a living. So I I started college within, with the money based on the space program backgrounds. And uh, I continued to draw and paint during this time, but I was a serious engineering student right. and for the next 10 years till I went all the way through to get a PhD. Well, what was your first uh, like bachelor's degree or your first uh, academic accomplishment? I, I got a first, I got a, a BS in engineering physics from the University of Tennessee and that was uh, in 1960, no, 68, 67, 68. Okay. And coming then, right up into the summer of love there. I, I worked through the, through the summers. I would work as a co-op student at an engineering facility, at an Air Force facility. i go to school a quarter. And then eventually I took a fellowship. But I, I followed the golden rule. The one who has the most gold makes the rules. <laughs> so uh, I got a scholarship at, at Louisiana State University and did my master's degree there. And by this time, I knew enough people I could move back to the University of Tennessee. And there I got a Ph.D. at a, at a place... It was a University of Tennessee facility called the University of Tennessee Space Institute. Okay. So I was still studying in physics and space studies. Now, at that time, now that your career is a little more thorough in academia and, and uh, your early profession, were you still kind of side doing art on the side? Or? Oh, yeah. I never gave up art. It was... Uh, when I was in school, at my lowest points, you know, students go up and down. At my lowest points, art was always the thing that saved me. I would go out and paint and uh, come back feeling calm and then study and pass tests. So you use it as a meditative tool? It was a meditative tool, yeah. I didn't actually know how it worked, but it just worked. So uh, I knew, I always knew that I could do art. And some of the classes seemed extremely hard, and you're always worried that you're going to pass this, you're going to get to the next step. So, but art, I knew I could do that. So I, I painted wherever I was. It kept me, it kept me going. And we know each other from painting uh, both landscapes and then also studying the figure. Is that something that you were doing then, uh, while you're still getting your it was postgraduates? All, it was all landscapes and some portraiture. I did some portraits, but not. I was I, I didn't really know how to do the figure well then. Uh, it was not as easy as it is as getting models. Is is something that was not something I had available. Were you still in Tennessee at that point? <laughs> I I was doing this some and. When I was in Baton Rouge at LSU, then I back in Tennessee again. 
there were a lot of uh, nice mountains and trees and lakes and things to paint. So I did paint some of those and sailboats and but uh, not so much figures. Okay, when uh, when you were starting off with your mentor and then even after that, and you continued your art side therapy art <laughs> during college and your postgraduate. Um, did you have like any other artists in particular? Like at the time, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, uh, what was like your influence? Like uh, was it Picasso or I don't know who was big at the time at the exact time when you're. I was out? still really in love with the great masters and uh, especially the Dutch masters uh, Van Dyck and uh, and uh, Rembrandt and okay. and. Uh, Vermeer and I love Vermeer's work and yeah those guys uh didn't now did since you you're in a uh holography and we'll talk about that in a minute did you ever think that they were cheating or whatever they had the looking glass or some people said they had a camera back then but nobody knew about it that I think they were the first ones to have like the photo realistic you know it's pretty well known especially Vermeer that's you can almost show that he was using lenses and uh, they had special kinds of, I forget what they call the cameras that they use, but... Uh, obscure or something? Obscure, yeah. Okay. They use those things and uh, it, I think it's all right. I mean, it doesn't, it, they're just like tools for art. They still got to paint it. They, it's, it's, <laughs> it's great. Whatever it takes to make your art, use it. Yes, that's a good one. Did, Eric, did those interests kind of... Like one informed the other, because I see that a lot of your professional work and your academic pursuit is around optics and optical phenomena. And like, did any of that interest get generated out of the fact that art was so important to you? You're just looking and portraying and seeing and witnessing. Is there a crossover? Again, I got very lucky with the timing of the universe. When I was in maybe the second or third year of college, Lasers were invented. That was in the, the early 60s, 1960s. Uh, then holography was invented uh, around 64 or 5, and I'm right in the middle of school. So, And I was working at a an Air Force Center, alternately with going to school, where I was working with optics. So it was a natural for me to take up lasers and optics and holography. So I got into holography right from its very beginning and I was able to meet and work with some of the first holographers so and and that kind of blended with art because there were also a lot of art holographers who were even uh, Salvador Dali for example he did some use of holography Don Close was another one they did some holographic art there's still there's a whole society now the holographic artists and you're you're an esteemed member of the Holo Knights, are you not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that's the whole field of holography developed around those people who were started when holography first started, oh, and, okay. and eventually enough of us connected that we we formed this society called the International Holo Knights. Like we it. still pick a Holo Knight every year. So, you, you, have you been picked one time? Or have you been knighted? Oh, I was knighted yeah. maybe 20 years ago in San Diego. That's great. <laughs> I mean, we, we were at your house the other day and we saw one of your holograms. Did you make that? So you, you, you can make holograms from scratch? Yeah, I've made some holograms. Uh, in fact, I made a hologram 
in honor of Vermeer. I said, here's what Vermeer would have done when he painted the the girl with the pearl earring. Okay. And I painted, I made this hologram. We hired a model. We set it all up. <clears throat> I call this thing the other pearl because in this hologram, you can look around and see on the other side of her face that second pearl. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. And, and not only that, you can also see some things that... <laughs> uh, yeah, a little wider camera angle. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she was a good model. Eric, do you want to take one of these? Let's so I said that's what Vermeer would have done if holography would have been available to him. I'm sure he would have. Well, so, and I know a lot of your relationship with Jesse is in doing plain air, doing on-location stuff. And, uh, and it sounds like that's something that you were doing from the very beginning. Can you speak more to you know, what influenced that and what's rewarding about that whole process? Because in the, the career I was in, I traveled a lot. And I needed something to keep me busy when I'm not working. So I painted. And so I started painting in different countries, most, mostly sketching, drawing, but some painting. And it, as, it, as painting kits got more and more sophisticated, uh, I could carry everything with me. And you said, so, uh, I don't, I, they might not have heard you, uh, painting kits. So you mean just everything you need to go on a plane or a train? Yeah. And have it compacted where you can use the paint and store it without getting so Well, I mean, I have everything I need right here. I can do a painting <laughs> with watercolor pencils yeah. and uh, water brushes. Yeah. And so I can you put can, the brush. You can, you can do a little painting. And I'm, I'm always ready. I have a book. That's right. That's what we like. For those of you that are listening to this audio only, maybe in your car or something, he's pulling things out of his vest that he's just he's prepped and ready to go right now in studio. Yeah, Jim has been um, a mentor to me for many ways, but mostly in plein air painting. And um, it was the first time we went to Death Valley when I realized I was I was underprepared. When I when he (laughs) he could just do that, just he didn't have to go to the car. have a bag and just whip stuff out of his pockets and start painting at a train station or at the bus stop. Um, and I, I learned a lot from that. It's like it, it helps to be prepared. Jim, could you share, like, uh, maybe if you were to guess how many sketches, how many countries have you got to sketch or paint in? I lost count after about 35 countries. So I, I painted in over 30 countries around the world. And so, what I'm, would you say some of your more memorable, uh, Occurrences were like a bridge, Eiffel Tower. Um, <clears throat> I had a lot of interesting experiences, and people are always coming up and asking you questions, and they have the standard questions that, "Oh, my son paints," and <laughs> they they want to tell you about themselves as well. So, I'm, wherever I'm sketching, there's always some kind of a story or something that develops, and. One of my favorite stories is I, I was painting a little girl on a on a train, and she saw me, and she came to walk by and see what I was doing, and and I kind of covered it up, and then she went back and she got her paper out, she started drawing, <laughs> and we finally, after maybe half an hour, we pulled into a station, and there she and her father were getting off, so they walked by me. And she handed me this painting. She had painted me. <laughs> so I showed her the painting I had done of her. So it was kind of fun that way. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Jim, uh, 
I was lucky enough to you, you invited me when we first met. So you came to 1980 right out of the gate to figure drawing workshops. And that was maybe 13, 14 years ago. Since then, you've been to almost every workshop we've had. <laughs> and then uh, one day he said, this is probably 10 years ago, he says, well, I'll, I'll go... I'll go to paint Death Valley if you'll come out there with me. And I'm like, what, what is going on in Death Valley? Like, it's just a desert. Like, you know, <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm from Missouri. Jim's from Tennessee, but uh, he had done it before. He said, hey, believe me, you know, it, it's wonderful and amazing. And I was like, all right, I'll go. And we went out there and I was just blown away, you know. And um, since then, we've painted multiple countries now together all over California. I had been painting in Death Valley for many years. I mean, when I would, I traveled a lot to California on, on business uh, as an engineer. And I quite often would go through Death Valley. So I always painted there. And so when I started at location 1980, I commented that I love painting in Death Valley. And people, what would you paint in Death Valley? <laughs> and that's when I says, let's go and I'll show you. And it's so beautiful. Every artist who went wanted to go back. Was, yeah. Well, the only person who would ask what's there to paint in Death Valley is someone who's never been to Death Valley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you've been there. I have been. I've not painted there, but uh, I have been. Yeah, and it is gorgeous. Yeah. Anyone listening, I recommend it, uh, artist or otherwise. And when you paint it, you start seeing things you didn't see until you painted it. There's so many things that you start seeing colors that, other people look at it, and I don't think they see what we see as an artist. Mm -hmm. You look, all of a sudden you see colors, and you see shapes, and you see you see beauty that you wouldn't see if you hadn't painted it. Well, and to I, be able to sit in one spot for such a long time, even that act must give a whole different appreciation than someone who's just walking, passing through. Exactly, yeah, and and every artist sees it different. That's, that's really exciting to see mm -hmm. what different artists what really excites them. Like Jesse got excited over a particular Joshua tree. And yeah, I think it was a Joshua tree, wasn't I, it? I think it was in Death Valley, it was Mesquite. Mesquite, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was. Anyway, he, we were all going somewhere else. He, no, I'm going to paint this tree. <laughs> so I wound up talking to him out of the painting. I love that painting. It's, he did such a beautiful job of it. He's got and so, it. And, and, and you know, one thing I... I'd like to share with the audience too, Jim, since I've been with you on these trips, because you had, when we go to these trips, Jim comes up with this whole plan. I mean, it's like a college syllabus and it's dense <laughs> and pretty figured out, but he always has a suggestion that these are a loose guideline of what we may or may not do it. At noon, we may go here and paint this, but if it's raining, maybe we don't do it. And then at the end of the day, so in a normal painting day, you can get probably two really good paintings in of two different locations. You you paint all morning at the sand dunes and then you go to lunch and then you paint all afternoon and somewhere else. And then in the evening, and this has been every time I've been, we've been to Spain, England, all over California. And every time we try to set up a critique at the end of the, uh, you know, we're talking about art. So like a lot of artists think that word critique is a bad word or they don't want to get critiqued or they're scared of a critique. But in these critiques are really nice. So, and it's pretty honest because at the end of the day, you're wore out and you, you're very efficient with your <laughs> assessment of other people's work as well as your, your own work. But we would have wine and cheese and we'd either be in a hotel room or on a park bench or whatever we could do and just slap your painting down however you can get it. And every person that gets a chance 
to either talk about their work or we all talk about everyone's work. And, and we're mostly offering uh, suggestions to how to make it better immediately. And what's cool is the next day you're going to paint something. You're going to be able to use that information immediately. So it's kind of neat. And Jim brought that to my attention. So now I like to do that here more often than not. And just like kind of educate younger artists that, you know, you don't have to have the strongest chin in the world to talk openly about your work or someone else's work. It only makes you a little bit better. <clears throat> We've had some interesting critiques too. Yeah, and quite often in those critiques, somebody will make a suggestion, as Jesse says, that comes in extremely useful the next day. And not only sometimes you can actually go away and I've seen people say, you know, if you crop that off, it'd be a better painting. And it is. I mean, mm. some of these things turn out improving the paintings. Or you should have had, how about adding something? It, quite often it, it improves the painting. Yeah, it does help just the, the group. Uh, and Jim is responsible for that. And a lot of times, too, he'll do this real elaborate, you know, the email. It's, 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 it's all figured out. And then I've heard a number of artists, where are we meeting again? Or what happened? And Jim, like, did you read the damn email? Like, <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> and um, also, too, for your workshops. So here in 1980, we do a lot of figure drawing workshops. And Eric, you've participated in these. Oh, many, many. Um, so our audience, if you don't know what that means, is a you know a live model, nude model. Could be male or female. Could be costumed. But it's usually uh, model posing from anywhere from one minute to... We did one earlier this month that was 12 hours. You know, two days straight of the same pose. And, um, and then you can critique. And, and Jim has put together several... Um, you know those books... Uh, there's there's a whole stack. We're gonna bring a few on set yeah. here. We published some books here yeah, in 1980. Yeah, several books. Jim's been responsible for cooking up uh, cooking up uh, really good ideas, just re revolving around figure drawing. So instead of just a normal session, we're doing something really cool. Yeah. Thank you. So Garrett, Eric, go ahead and give them a little taste of what we got going on there now. Let's see. Yeah, and remember, we got to keep this interesting for yeah. the people that are only listening, doing the yeah. listening to it yeah. on stereo. The, the books are mostly meant to capture what we did. Um, yeah, I mean, at. so we've got uh, capturing Andalusia, seven artists find the secrets. So this is, I'm assuming, everybody that was on the tour. Yeah, uh, that's here on the cover of that. And I mean, these are really nice format things. And so we've got views of the actual uh, locations. In here, and then there's a lot of the artwork that was produced uh, while on these trips, and that's everything from sketches to finished work I'm seeing in here by everybody that was there was there. And then there's some writing. Now, did you do the writing? I did most of the writing. Yeah. Okay. And so, what's we're not going to do a live reading of the whole book here, yeah. of course. But could you maybe describe for the audience like what what are you guys breaking down with the writing portion of these? Well, it, these ships kept getting more and more complicated, and like we we went to a lot of local places. But then people started saying, "Let's let's do something really big." So Andalusia, it, it, we arranged to rent a house. We had a guy who took us around to various places to paint, and uh, it describes the different cities. Or we went to four or five different cities around in Andalusia and painted and which is southern Spain if you guys don't know what we're talking about <clears throat> yeah so it just it the book tries to describe these sites and and every 
plain air painting has a story behind it. Some of them are interesting enough to write about. So we put some of those stories in the book and we always joke about what the tourists how the tourists interact with us. So if some of those tourist interactions are in there also. I like to get pictures of people painting and the scene and the painting all in one shot. So some of those are in there. And unfortunately, the reason I bring up the books um, for everyone listening and watching is that um, fortunately Jim had the the idea and the um, follow through to make these books happen, which then captures the, the, the weekend or the trip or the workshop, which if we hadn't done, they would have came and went. But now we have a, a whole history of location 1980, specifically just, if nothing else, just from um, specifically to Jim's uh, workshops that he set up. So this is another one we have. Um, I'm just going to read a few of the titles and we'll um, post some of these uh, in the... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll splice in some shots. Yeah, and so this one's the most, uh, most famous nudes ever painted. So... The idea was that we would recreate some of the more master paintings. Uh, uh, you know, everybody knows the Mona Lisa, so we would set up something similar. We'd hire a model, poser like the Mona Lisa, and then we would all do our versions of that. And uh, let's see, we have another one here. Yeah, that's in how those you got cases, it. we actually have a screen, a projection screen behind the model that somehow directs the attention toward what the original painting was. And you can kind of be inspired by the original painting. I uh, think the Egypt one was probably one of the more specific ones. It's like we'd like put Ramsey's tomb behind her. Oh, nice. it, it's a four foot by eight foot screen. So the model's laying on the model box like she normally would be. But instead of looking at the back of the studio, you're looking at you know Ramsey's tomb. And she's in full costume like uh, Cleopatra. And so it really did help you kind of take some left turns in here, what you would create. I got the inspiration for that book. I went to a show of Soroya. He's one of my fam one of my favorite artists. I didn't even know he painted nudes. But he's called one he's got a painting in that it's a life size painting. It's in London. It's in London, it's in the National Gallery. And uh it's it's called the uh Muhir de Nudis the nude female. And it was so beautiful that I wanted to do a book around it. And that, that gave me the idea of all these different famous people that had been painted. And that, that was one of the ones we include in the book. So we had the painting in the background so people can be inspired by it. And we got, mm -hmm. it has a wonderful pink silk sheet in it that the model's laying on. We found a sheet just like that and, and set the figure up just like he had done. And so we, we have a people the opportunity to do something like Soroya did. Yeah. And it's that's a fun program. It's a great way to reach into history and challenge yourself. You know, um, instead of just trying to be like nowadays, everything's a AI art or everything's digital or, there's this forward avant-garde art happening too, but it's it, Jim had a good idea to reach into the past and take a stab at recreating some of those master paintings to see see what you could do. And after you go through one of these exercises, it it can't help but uh, be you can't help but be influenced by it. So it's, we brought so it all the way up to the modern day when one of one of uh, location 1980 regular models is a, a Wonder Woman look like. We said, we would, we'll paint Wonder Woman nude. <laughs> so we, we brought her in full costume 
and little by little in the painting she took she removes the costume and so you can paint whatever you like with it so it's got wonder woman uh, as yeah. being one of the most famous women ever painted yeah it was uh that was a good good session i'd love to see the results of that one that was yeah, a little it's, bit before i got boat. here <laughs> We got a bunch of them. Thanks for chronicling our, our journey here, Jim. Well, I think um, kind of what directed you into this book topic is there's a couple of these. Like I see this one, we got the I Believe in Angels, and then we got the uh, the Art of the Muse here. And correct me if I'm wrong, with those, you're more chronicling not necessarily a specific occurrence as much as like this process of the figure drawing for folks who they maybe don't know what the deal is, the that there's more to it. There's more meat to this that you can sink your teeth into. And that's kind of what you guys put together in some of these as well. Yeah, and it kept getting, we kept getting more and more complicated ideas. Like at one point we decided, let's do a big painting and have like six different models. So the book's called Six Muses, One Masterpiece. So people brought in big canvases we picked out a scene that had five or six ladies in it, and we would set those things up one by one, and people work for like four or five months on the same painting. It's like the slowest montage ever. With, like, <laughs> with different Just keep models. Adding them. My, my version's in your... I see the one that's hanging vestibule. right outside there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fun. it was a fun exercise. Yeah, it really was, but I, I appreciate you chronicling this, Jim. And now there's, there's spawned other, other books... Um, I think we're about ready to do another one. Uh, Terrell's working on one now. So we'll come, come up to that. Um, Jim, I want to ask you specifically about the holographic um, imaging. Like, what, what would you do? What, what do you do now with that? Or do you still, you still have, a, you have the museum or you wanted to have a museum, a hologram museum? Yeah, there's, uh, because holography is so important in my career. I've got a, I've got fingers in everything, <laughs> and so one of the things I do, I have a a, a, a charitable organization. Uh, it's called Phase, and Phase stands for Preserving Holography for the Arts, Sciences, and Education. And so we we have a collection, and we have a lot of materials. Since I knew a lot of the people in the history of holography, I have a lot of historical stuff. And FaZe has the objective to put together a museum and give it to some other institute who will take it and and incorporate it. And so I've been talking to various museums of, of, about incorporating it into some of their, their other collection. And eventually that will happen. Right now we're making contributions to uh, some of the Art holography has had a, such a struggle. It's just not been very, it hasn't been accepted by the hmm. art community or by the public. As what was, a, what's the main uh, knock on holographic art? Every time I see one, I'm blown away. It's awesome. Most people are like that. They get blown away. But yet, when you try to get the art community to support it, it's too scientific. It's too, hmm. too uh, technical. And uh, the the art community seems to reject it. There's not an art museum in the world now that has a holography collection. Wow. Uh, there's some that are planning it, but uh, it just see hasn't a, been accepted. Do you see a parallel with the new AI artists? Because this seems... To- there's 
probably going to be the same sort of thing. And whether the public really accepts AI art, uh, uh, it's hard to know. They have, we're still working to try to get the public to accept holographic art. but Maybe if they do uh, AI holographic art, you put them together. <laughs> oh, maybe so. Maybe so. That's my contribution. That's all I got. That's one hell of an idea. Let's get some investors already. Yeah, we're ready for it. There were some artists, as I said, like uh, uh, Salvador Dali and Don Close. They're two artists I know that started working with holography, and they didn't take it very far. Yeah. Uh, Dali did a few things, the flowing clocks and that sort of thing. And... Those are in collections and they're valuable because they've got Salvador Dali associated with them. But uh, none of the other other artists are doing very well with holography. There's there's a whole art community. There's a website called Holography and Facebook that has the art community, and they're they're always trying to figure out how to get themselves accepted as artists. Do you have any other questions regarding holography? Yeah, I'd love to pull that thread a little, yeah. And, and maybe, you, I definitely am obviously not nearly as uh, thoroughly informed on it as you are, so maybe you can explain this to the casual viewer and listener here. But uh, but the process, it, it is a direct physical creation of some original real object, right? Like almost in the way that what you're doing with a photograph and the film and the way that it's getting you know exposed to light and dark elements it's uh it's not an imageal that's not a word but it's not a visual recreation the way a painting is where like i'm interpreting it and then i'm laying stuff on but you're using an actual physical object and a specific technique that recreates it in this other format is is that accurate it's more related to to photography than it is to probably like painting yeah because as you say the way a hologram is made is it's made with laser light. Right. And you light, you light up the object and you have a recording photographic plate or digital, whatever you're going to record it with, that catches some of that light. But that light is mixed with a second laser beam called the reference wave. And it forms what's called a diffraction pattern on this recording material. So it's using a process called diffractive optics. It's not uh, refractive optics like regular photography uses. Right. So when when you've got a hologram, it actually is a recording of the actual object or person or whatever it's whatever the object is. And when you illuminate it again with a reference wave, those waves it's it's kind of like programmed so that those waves then bend. So they actually come from that object. Yeah. And so you've got a true three-dimensional image behind the hologram yeah. that you can you can see with your eyes. It's all by the process of diffraction. And when you say diffractive, you're talking like slight shifts in the wavelength because it's getting reflected or the phasing of it being slightly shifted and, and that's what's getting received and picked up? It's It's actually the direction of the light. So if... If you, you've got a reference beam and this diffraction or this hologram is built such that if, if a light wave hits it, it bends it in the right direction so that the new ray is coming from an object, hmm. of a, from an image of an object. 
And so all over this plate, the rays are being bent so that they look like they're coming from a three-dimensional object. Okay. And so what you're seeing is a true three-dimensional image back yeah. there that, because all the rays are coming from the right place. Science. <laughs> Love it. That's you know you say it's like oh it's it's maybe the art community is not picking it up because it's a little too complex, but I feel there could someone like yourself could make a pretty easy distillation of at least the big principles of this, and if people could just sink their teeth into that first bit, you know, just get like one finger hook onto the onto the rock, then they would, whoa, holy shit, this is really cool. Yeah, you know, James, the guy that bridges the gap. Yeah, that, yeah. Then maybe that's the point that I'm making without even realizing it here. Awesome. Well, we're trying to do that with digital holography because now you can actually, the recording can actually be made with a camera, hmm. and it's a digital recording of that diffraction pattern, and then electronically you can. It's called reconstructing. You reconstruct the light rays so that they come from this three-dimensional object. So those systems, eventually, because it's mostly software, those systems can be used and understood by people who use computers. Okay. And hopefully this may teach the, more the general public what holography can actually do. Yeah, because I think if they could get a grip on it, they'd be pretty darn interested in it. Maybe so. The other problem with holographic art is that when you're using photographic materials and lasers, all this stuff is expensive. So mm-hmm. a good holography setup can cost thirty, forty thousand dollars. And that'll do it. They most, don't sell that at uh, Michael's <laughs> the local art store. So it's not something that anybody can afford. They're usually artists are poor anyway. <laughs> so they that's to make funny. holograms takes, <laughs> <laughs> and the photographic the photographic materials are very expensive as well. Jim, uh, we're in 2024, and you're about to head head over to England, take a little uh, vacay. What 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 do you have going on this year in art that's going to be different? What are you looking forward to, or do you have any? Uh, I hope I can do some more of these themed workshops. We had started one when the pandemic started called the love project we were building a a series of paintings around the idea of love which is a pretty and, wide angle lens yeah. and how many then did we do did it we got do? it was shut down during the pandemic so I, I i may try to restart it or come up with a different theme and, and you're gonna how do you think you'll paint when you're over in uh flitic uh, did, did you get it accepted to the the Society of uh, Flitic Moor artists over there, or something. Oh, that's the other thing is, you know, as we travel, I'm getting back to traveling again after being shut down for so long. The last time I went to England, I, I, I met some of the local artists, and I painted with some of those artists before. So I organized the first paint out in Flitic, and we had a, a group of locals. We had about a dozen artists that showed up and they loved that painted in the same moor that you and I painted in when you visited. That's great. It's neat to see that you just have to have that idea and send out an invite and the artist will come. So yeah, it seems so, like the Pied Piper with all the artists. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Hey, do you think you'll paint them more? I mean, I don't know how the weather is in uh, February. And it's probably not. I have painted down there when it was freezing. <laughs> and that's uh, there have been times when I've 
suddenly realize that I'm freezing and I got to get out of there. Yeah. So you'll turn into a statue. I'll, I'll probably do at least some drawing during the, my next trip, but That's good. now when I mean I used to spend three or four months a year there. If when I get back to that stage, then I'll try to organize more art on the local scene. And then what about here? Have you been to uh, any local art shows that we have the new, uh, what's it, ACA? ACMA, Orange County Museum of Art. Yeah, ACMA and then um, the Broad. And have you been to some of these museums here, Jim, lately? Uh, I went to the, I've been going to some of the museums. Like I went to the, the, uh, the museum, it's in Santa Ana, when they had a show of the Japanese art. Yeah. Uh, so, and and the modern, the new modern art facility at Southwest. That's Akma. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that so you one, have been. That one, I was kind of hoping that that might be a candidate for donating holograms to. So I, I like going to there. Yeah. They have a nice cafeteria also. Yeah, it's a nice place. Uh, that's the Orange County Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly all all modern art. Yeah. It's nice. Um, they got you, they got workshops and like regular uh, artist talks and stuff over there. Yeah, we're a little spoiled here in Orange County. There's definitely some uh, good patronage uh, throughout the county. Um, and what about uh, L.A. Jim? Have you gone up there and gone to the to the Broad or to the LACMA any any time we're here recently? Or not recently. I I talked I talked to the Getty people back early on because they actually have a hologram collection that they're not showing yeah, and like uh, most museums they have four thousand pieces in the basement that nobody will ever see some people donated their art some really valuable art to them and they just haven't come up to putting a dedicating a studio to it i think that uh, again it's the public and art people not quite accepting holography. Oh, right. So eventually, I hope they... I looked at the, the L.A. Museum of Art. It's, it's just, it also has scientific stuff. Where they have the space shuttle and stuff like that there. So I had... Uh, maybe they might be a, a good candidate. Well, keep leaning on them. Hmm. Never know. Eric, you got any other questions for Jim regarding... Uh his art art endeavors, art career, art history. Uh, well, you know, we've got, for everybody that's uh, on the video, we got a piece that you've done here at Monument Valley uh, in the background of the studio. And I guess I'd say what, cho what led you to choose that to be what you wanted to display of everything you could have brought tonight to, uh, to showcase on our episode? Monument Valley was our first... Paint out that I really organized with, kind of in conjunction with location 1980 was Death Valley. <clears throat> People loved the desert, so we started marching around and painting different deserts. We painted uh, Joshua Tree National Park. We painted the uh, Alabama Hills, Alabama Hills Desert, and everybody loved it. Those were close; you could drive to those. And we said, I, I always wanted to paint Monument Valley, so let's go to Monument Valley. So. We got enough drivers and vans and stuff. We took seven or eight people there. Yeah, it was, um, 
And <clears throat> I, it, you know, it blew us away. What we're looking at here is a, a few of the, I don't know, is that the Mitten uh, Butte? Yeah, actually, uh, we had cabins yeah. that you could literally see this from the back porch of your cabin. That's incredible. It was so, unbelievable. Yeah, for, for artists who paint landscapes, and most of us are at least partially professional landscape painters, myself included, uh, it was a dream. You open the door, and there it is, and it's <laughs> iconic. I mean, um, I mean, we were watching at night, I think, we were watching old John Wayne movies in the because we, you know, once the sun goes down, you're pretty much done making art that day. Yeah, you could do the critique and go to dinner, but then you still got a couple hours to kill. So we we were YouTubing uh, old John Wayne movies. Now it's you know it, it, what always has been sacred land, Navajo Nation. That basically white people are like, oh, we will just trample all over this to make this John Wayne movie. So like, there's places out there now you can't you can't even go unless you're the Navajo guide on a horse. But back when they were making these movies, they had, just to get a take, they had like a hundred horses and wagons and just tearing up the whole land. And like, they was, all right, we got the shot we needed. Um, but now it's like, fortunately, it's completely sacred and you can't do any of that. Um, but so we, when we try to capture it anyway, Jim did a great job. This is watercolor, is it not, Jim? Yes. 18 by 24, maybe, or a little, maybe 11 by 14. Um Jim, you paint mostly in watercolor when we're... Yeah, especially in plain air, it's just easier to manage. I, I do yeah. some with oils, but uh, in this particular case, we were there for four or five days, and you could paint two or three paintings in, in each day. And we people were getting up before sunrise because it's beautiful at sunrise. Mm -hmm. And so there, a lot of paintings were done, but a lot of them were sold in transferred to other places and I had two or three left of these from that trip and this is one of my one of my favorites and they're called the mittens because they look like a like a a hand with a like a vertical hand with a thumb yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah we all had several of those paintings you know Jim it, looking at it makes me want to go back I think it's yeah yeah it might that, be time. that's a place we should go back to those cabins that deal was something sweet and there's a bunch of them so you can have two or three all rented out and pack them with artists and by the time you get out of there you got a you got a whole uh collection of art you know from all the different artists there's several more in this room actually um because i have one of winnie's we traded we bartered um <laughs> we've got a book on on this one also i think yeah yeah oh, no, that's yeah. right here the magnificent six uh, <laughs> that was us yeah, I think there's a good picture on the back there. Uh, there oh, yeah. I took that. Uh, it's Jim and Pauline <laughs> having a moment. <clears throat> that was good times out there. Well, Jim, we'll have to put it together. Um, do you have any uh, remarks or anything regarding Location 1980? I mean, you're here now. And we're, we've been blessed to have you as a friend and a contributor. Actually, when I started art here in California, I took classes at Iron Coast and Coastline and I met a lot of people there that were really good, good friends and it gave me a place the only place I could get models at that time was like at Orange County uh, Community College Community College they they had a lot of models and then somewhere during that period well, we also Laguna Plain Air painters had a lot of models so I painted with them so but then that's when I discovered Jesse. 
And uh, this was like a gift from heaven, a place like Location 1980. I could see then it has such potential, and Jesse's done such a fantastic job growing this into a, to a really major art center in Costa Mesa. And so, and it's it's 10 minutes away from my home. <laughs> so it's a perfect place. We have wonderful models. We have great artists. I've learned so much from the artists here, including Jesse. And someday I'm going to learn to paint like Jesse, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. So we, we've, we've had such a good friendship, and I've learned so much from Location 1980 and met a lot of people here, and it's added to inspirations for doing art. So places like this keep me going. We're definitely pleased to hear that. That's, yeah, we need, uh, we need more uh, more places like 1980, and uh, we'd like to get in touch with more, like to inspire other art houses that um, can be, a, you know, contribute member to the community by gathering creatives together. Um, and Jim represents the upper echelon of our age uh, category, and then we have artists that are as young as 18. So it's neat to th- see that we. We're doing something where everybody, regardless of your age or your background, can come together and, and make some art. It's a good uh, glue to hold the, our community together here. Um, do you have any other questions for Jim? Uh, oh, well, gosh, that's like one of those, how much time you got? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we got a few minutes left. Um, Jim's on the pitch clock here, so we're going to uh, wrap it up. But if you could think of something in the next few minutes before we sign off. Well, gosh, uh, I mean, the biggest thing, I just want to say thank you, because uh, Jesse's telling stories about you all the time, and always with a smile, <laughs> and uh, and I know I see you at Figure Drawn, not quite every week, he's there every week, I'm not there every week, <laughs> but... Um, I do a pretty good impersonation of Jim, too. That's <laughs> 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 so good, you got to witness that, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very inspirational, and, uh, you know, you've got this quiet purposefulness that I see going on at every figure drawing where there's some folks, including myself, who are very noisy individuals. And uh, then you look at the work, though, and it's always great. And I just, I love seeing that. I love having the, that through line, you know, that it goes back further than even I've been here and to see that continuing. It says a lot about what this place is and, and, and what art can be for people. So, uh, so I really appreciate that. And really? so this has been a fun opportunity for me. You know, to sit down and do this. Getting into figure painting here at Location 19, that's a place place where I had a reliable, regular place where I could go get great models and and have wonderful, talented artists around. I get ideas from them. And I, I started seeing figures everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we went to the desert, you can see the figures in the sand dunes and the mountains, the trees. And I painted some of these in. The next thing you know, other people are painting them in. <laughs> eventually, people were painting figures into the sand dunes and and into the trees and things like that. So yes. we, we were teaching each other. So I thank Jesse for for it's providing a, something that I would never have gotten anywhere else. And that that particular filter has, has become we haven't quite named it yet, but I know Nakamura and Winnie, and we've all done it now. It's contagious. Is when yeah. you, you you start blending the. Uh, I've seen some work like that. It is really cool. That's fun. It's good times. So yeah. Also, Jim, I, I want to say thanks for coming on. Now, this is your—you've uh, done lectures and keynote speeches and talks at 
big rooms of people before, but you never did a podcast before, so... I've never done podcasts. <laughs> That's a new invention, sort of. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, because we're just getting started, and we, we look forward to having a lot of other accomplished artists and guests, um, and uh, I think that having you on is really important for us um, to let all of our, our new and growing audience to know that we're we're really casting a wide net for all of our artists uh, from a science background and uh, different industries, but... Uh, where the rubber meets the road here at 1980, we all we all make art together. So, thanks for coming in, Jim. I feel honored to have been invited to come in. I'm still still interested in seeing the outcome of all these things, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's really an honor, and I thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see how uh, popular the episode is. And, you know, it's going to be funny too. Now, so um, once it is edited, and then uh, Eric and I both went through this because. Nowadays, the podcasts are fairly popular, and you listen to your favorite guy, uh, your favorite whatever it could be, guy, girl, uh, technology podcast, uh, acting, whatever it is. But then, when it's your voice and your, uh, you know, your whole script or whatever, and, and then when you watch yourself, it's it's a little different. So <laughs> you might get a kick out of it. Uh, yeah. And we're we're growing, and uh, we're trying to keep it going. So uh, this is an important, and we're also in our new digs. So for those of you watching or just listening, we. Uh, we upgraded the studio a bit. Yes, yeah, so our first some equipment. Uh, our first permanent. Well, everything's flexible in 1980, but uh, <laughs> yeah. this is far more permanent than our last setup. Say so that. Yeah, so that should allow us to bring us more frequent guests and frequent uh, podcasts, and we'd like to uh, share with everybody. But with that, we're going to sign off for another episode, Location 1980 Art Podcast. Thank you guys for listening and watching on YouTube. If you'd like to support us, please. Leave a like or comment or review. We could use everything, um, every you know, every critique that we can get. Most uh, importantly, tell your friends. Yeah, yeah. Spread the spread the. Uh, Keep up the good work. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, make sure that the uh, holographic community knows about the uh, podcast. Maybe they'll listen. We <laughs> might have gave more airtime to holograms than anybody all year, probably. So. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep it going. Uh, so thanks so much for you guys listening. I think that's going to be a wrap. Yeah. I'll see you Wednesday at Figure. Yes, yes sir. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Jim. That's awesome.